up for nothing under the soil in the earth Breaking through the rocks, growing wild and tall Till the buds begin to pop Pack me in a bowl or roll me in a spliff While you're breaking me down, you can feel your Hey, this is Ryan Heron, cannabis writer and advocate from Portland, Oregon. Hey, I'm Amanda Breeze. I'm here in Toronto. And we're here to talk about all the fun stuff around one of our favorite plants, cannabis. Uh, for this whole season, we're focusing on people with cool jobs in the industry. People who have kind of taken on cannabis and turned it into their careers. Today, we have on uh, Chris Romaine, Candid Kush, as you probably know him from Instagram and High Times covers and everything else. Uh, stoked to have you here today, Chris. Hey, man. Thanks. Pleasure. So um, we're just digging in, talking about what you've been up to lately and kind of how you got started in the industry. Uh, let us know where you're at right now. Cool. I'm uh, up in Truckee, California, a little north of Tahoe, about uh, 6,500 feet elevation. It's a little chilly today and uh, came from Grass Valley earlier this week. Very nice. Yeah. I'm lovely near a beanie and everything looks like a cozy place <laughs> to like kick back and burn one. Yeah. So are you gearing up for harvest season or what's what's brought you there? More uh, gearing down from harvest season. This year, I have, I think, two more shoots on the books in November. I just like ended a pretty busy season bouncing around Northern California, pretty much nonstop for the last like two months. A lot in Grass Valley working with Humboldt Tea Company on cool. one of their big mega pheno hunts, which was super epic. And uh, yeah, just uh, popped up here because I had some errands and I was close. So <laughs> that's why. Cool. I'm jealous. I love Northern California. Yeah. I just love pheno hunts. So, you know, I'm, I'm envious as well. Yeah, no, it was it was really epic. I missed the first leg of it, which was more in Northern Humboldt. And I caught the second leg, which was down in like the Grass Valley, Nevada City area. And that was pretty cool. Yeah, I forget that up here in Oregon, everyone just lets pushes everything until the rains are like, you got to cut it down or it's going to be all mold, my man. So that's where we're at today. Uh, all of the rains are moving in. And I think most people have, have gotten to, to chopping so far. At least, you know, the, the neighborhood plants, the little backyard stuff we have around here. Although it does seem kind of early for harvest in California. Yeah, you know, like everything that I was visiting seemed to be like earlier and also the season got started later i know quite a few people didn't even get plants in the ground until like july for the full term uh sun grown at least and so when we were going through the pheno hunt the plants were still like a little early and so uh we were playing catch up on the photography and i was able to like tag along with uh, eric uh nug shots a lot of people probably pretty familiar with him and so him and I were uh, capturing a lot of the pheno hunt together. Oh, nice. So what does that look like? Describe like what you were doing exactly for our listeners. We would go visit uh, select farms that were growing new varieties that Humboldt Seed is selecting the different phenos for to release in the future. Um, the really exciting part about that this year is that they were hunting for triploids. So triploids have an extra chromosome and are sterile. So there wouldn't be any worry to have like it, like a male pop up in the field or a plant herm or get seeded or anything. And so along with these triploids, the plants are more vigorous and seemingly have greater trichome density and uh, mature really? a little quicker. Yeah. And they just like pop out at you. They're much bigger. Some of the, like 
I didn't see some of the leaves of the first leg of the pheno hunt, but the leaves would be like massive, like Jurassic looking. It is really cool. Damn, that sounds awesome. Yeah, so there was like a whole group of people along for the pheno hunt, and we would go to the different farms and everybody. I wasn't really um, a part of the selection part of things. I was like more just documenting it. But everybody had like their checklist of ratings for the different plants and we would break off into groups and the different groups would just uh, wander throughout the different parts of the farms and making notes and documenting. And I was just bouncing around photographing the like behind the scenes of it. And then Eric and I would go back later and collect samples of the different phenos that were selected and then do our like studio work with it. Oh, my God, that sounds so fun these live plants like i guess you're taking a branch or two and not just like the yeah. whole plants back to back to your shooting area <laughs> yeah some of these plants they're like the big mendo monster like 12 13 foot plants and so we're taking top colas that exhibit like the best characteristics for that phenotype whether that's like the structure the color we're looking for symmetry depending on like the type of content that we're creating and then from those finished samples yeah we we cure them up and give them a try i mean you have to right it would it would yeah, be right? waste otherwise yeah i know seriously yeah so we smoked some of the first triploid herb the other night actually it's pretty cool i've yeah. never heard that word before in all my yeah. i've never ever heard that word before yeah, so like other things that would be commonly known by that would be like seedless watermelon or bananas or other things that are are like sterile. Wow. So they're not going to get seeded. That is really cool. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is, it is for the market as well, right? I mean, we all know like cookies bag seeds were like such a thing in the like early 2000s where it was like gold if you got one. People were like trading them on overgrow.com and stuff. And so uh, kind of eliminating that and saying like, okay, these are our genetics. We don't have to worry about somebody catching a seed or finding mm -hmm. some some lottery ticket type herb in your uh, mm -hmm. in your stash. So, uh, I mean, I, I get it. The closer we get to cannabis being like less of a basement thing and more of like an agricultural product, we're seeing like really interesting breeding techniques and things like this. So, man, it's cool. I'm just trying to hang on and pay attention. Yeah, it is. It is a pretty interesting thing. Um, I think inevitable for sure. And more targeted towards like the larger scale farms or even, you know, just like people who don't want to have to worry about like that one male that pollinates half their like grow and then seeds everything, you know. Yeah, that, that's such a huge thing. And partly why pheno hunting is so expensive to begin with, especially indoors. You know, it's taking a lot of risks on when you're trying to grow craft cannabis and you might have a whole seeded room just because, you know, the genetics term, you're not used to using them. Uh, you're not quite sure how far you can push a plant. Uh, so, yeah, man, it's, it's, a, it's a whole thing. Uh, I think it's a, a useful tool for the industry. Let's say that. Definitely. So the samples that you're shooting are, I'm guessing, untrimmed, fresh samples, like fresh off the plant with its vibrant liveliness. Typically, when I show up for like a shoot, the selection process is going through like the different rooms or gardens uh, where I'm at with the owner or the 
lead grower and we're looking for those different attributes on like the live plants. I don't typically shoot dried flower that much anymore, although I did like that was how I got started in cannabis photography. So we'll take a sample that checks all the boxes and um, immediately keep it on water to keep it like drinking and plump and staying alive. Then I take that to my studio setup and manicure the plant, like prep it up, you know, take off any like weird looking leaves or, you know, insects are pretty inevitable on most organic things. Got some tweezers looking for whatever may be there and then uh, set it up for the shots, depending on like what style of photography we're doing, whether that's the 360 degree type of motion photography or the macro or the super micro type of stuff. Love that. And I love that you're working with the organic outdoor. Like I'm an outdoor girly. I just think it has such a look to it. And I just, I don't know, the idea of just like, photographing the live plant is so dynamic and so much more exciting than just a dried nug. Of course, we love our nug shots, but the word plump resonates because I love that look when you're looking through photos of plants and you really see that gorgeous cola or whatever you're working with. Well, yeah. not to mention like how many things had to go right before you call Chris in, right? You're like, oh, okay, we need this like photographed we need like the memory of this preserved so let's get the pros in here and so like you already know like the weed is great by the time you're walking up to it yeah yeah no it's really cool it's such a pleasure uh working with a lot of the genetic types of uh companies and there's like another guy nate uh higher heights in mendocino that i've been working with over the past few years and i document a lot of his you know hunts too and the colors are like what always captivate me like you'll have these Fino hoops that have just like all the different colors of fall. And it's so gorgeous. And I also love earlier in the season when you get the pink hairs and they're just like mm. that delicious magenta. Um, we always called it grower's delight because like you only see it if you're the one growing because it usually fades out as the plant matures. So it's like there's just some of these moments that you can only catch when you're working with the live plants. Totally. And speaking of those pink pistols, I was able to go work with Emerald Spirit Botanicals in Mendocino. Yeah, I'm pretty sure like Willits is Mendocino. They do all of their own in-house breeding and they work on like rare cannabinoids. So THCV plants, uh, CBG, CBN and stuff like that. And they have one of their cultivars, Pink Boost Goddess, which is a one-to-one THC to THCV plant. Oh, that wow. has really vibrant uh, pink pistols. And I was able to do some really cool like 20X microscope photography on those. And so those will be coming out soon. Oh, shit. Oh, mm-hmm. that's good. Yeah. So does that I, mean you're entering uh, editing season now? Is that what this is? Oof. <laughs> yes. Yes, I am uh, glued to the computer now. I would say like most of the work is within the editing. The photo shoots are pretty dialed now with process and getting all that done. But like if I'm shooting for eight to 10 hours in a day of like mostly macro or micro work, you can count on that being like another like 60 to 80 hours of editing. Holy wow. Yeah. (laughs) That's a lot. (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> and it's a lot. Well, you know, that kind of like approaches something I want to talk about today. Recently, you've been 
I don't know, complaining, commiserating, like talking about the Instagram police. Chris has got like, I don't know, 40,000 followers or something like that. And it's not your first account. I know that much. And you put a lot of time and energy into creating this art and having a very specific point of view. And then it just gets flagged like it's some teenager's picture of a weed plant. And uh, it's it's very frustrating. And seeing you have to, to deal with that and, and thankfully, like sharing some of that story with us. You know, I think everybody we've had on so far has kind of talked about their way of dealing with social media. I mean, let, let's not like bring the energy down too much, but like talk about that a little bit and how you have fought against it or had some success with that. Yeah, totally. Um, it's funny because I literally just made a post about this um, yesterday or the day before. So I made my Instagram account in 2016, and it was a place for me to post cannabis-related content separate from my other photography. And that account took off organically, um, and I have organically grown just shy of like uh, 40,000 followers. And I've made so many like rad connections like globally. Like I've met people internationally traveling through Europe who I only met on Instagram. And then I would say 90% of my work comes from Instagram as well. Over the past, like, gosh, I don't know, like probably like two or three years now, like I've been like really censored on Instagram and uh, my account, it was about like a year ago, they just deleted my account without warning, without reason, without anything. And I was locked out of the account for two or three weeks and I was able to find a friend who worked at Instagram and he was able to get my page looked at by a person. And the person is like, well, this is just a photography account. They're not breaking any guidelines. This is how it is. And they just reinstated my account, thankfully. And the next day it was flagged and I'm warned to be taken down again through the AI monitoring or whatever. They just recommended that I delete all 1400 or so posts that I had. I was like, well, shit, I don't want to lose the fucking account again. So I archived my entire feed. And then I decided to have, (laughs) yeah, I decided to have a new approach. And that was like integrating like the other styles of photography I do. Because like cannabis as a subject is, has been like later in my exploration of photography or career or whatever you want to call it. And I do all types of photography within cannabis, without cannabis. I'm always like shooting stuff. And I like storytelling and visual storytelling. And so I was like, well, you know, I'm just going to utilize the carousel and try to composite images and maybe trick the algorithm by layering things and like maybe having things not so obvious cannabis, right? Mm -hmm. And that seemed to be working for a little bit, although I think the follower base maybe didn't quite understand what I was doing right off the bat, which is like totally fine, right? Um, So the engagement kind of lost in another way. But then I just started getting flagged over and over and over again for cannabis related content. Since my account is verified, I have the access to Instagram support, which is very hit or miss. I think it's extremely subjective depending on like the type of support agent you start talking with. And I shared some of this on my latest post and I shared some screen captures of chatting with Instagram support people who were in awe of my work and thought it was really cool and recognized me as a photographer and this and that. And then they just lifted all of the restrictions and then a week goes by and then they're all back. And so 
it feels like a very gaslit situation and being a creative, you know, spending time and like my passion and like, this is like what my life is. And then I get told like, Oh yeah, you are a photographer. This is this way and things are okay. And then I spend, you know, 10 hours making some posts and writing up something and linking it to my blog and like all this stuff. And then it just gets flagged and you're like, well, wait, I thought what I was doing was okay. You know? And so it's just this frustrating thing because I love photography and I love storytelling. And I love sharing the work and creating conversation and changing perspective and challenging views like that. And putting effort into that, like I'm not into just like posting like a weed picture and this is fucking grape ape. I put thought into it. And then when it all just gets censored, and then I don't have any real explanation. But then I see other cannabis accounts that, you know, have millions of views, and they started their page a year ago, and they have hundreds of 1000s of followers. And I just like don't understand what's happening. You know, I always wondered if your account was verified if you were able to get around some of these rules, because I've also seen other content creators with tons of followers with verified accounts who seem to like get away with posting weed pictures. This week I got super flagged a ton of my posts. And so I've been trying to go in and same as you archive some of the ones, even though it sucks. Cause this is like, you know, you don't really want, I put the effort in and I did <laughs> Like we all know it. You don't just post on social media in like a minute. You sit down for like quite a while and come up with the caption and which pictures and what order they're going to go. And it's so much work. And so it sucks. I'm sorry to hear that because I was hoping you would get away with it. Having a verified <laughs> in my head, that's what I thought was happening. But I guess that's not the case. Well, it's crazy because Instagram has more personal information about me than I think any other thing in the world. They have my freaking EIN. They have my trademarks. They have my bank accounts for my business. They have my business licenses. They have pictures of me. They have my passport, my fucking ID, everything. Like it's, I shouldn't <laughs> have to have all of that stuff just to post pictures, you know, on a social media platform. And then they tell me I'm not who I am. And like a really frustrating thing is I recently came across um, my work being used without my permission to market some other cannabis brand. And so uh, for the longest time, like I don't even reach out to the companies anymore. I'll just file an IP claim, right? It's just like the easiest way to go about it. And now I can't prove that it's mine. Instagram says it's not. I send them the raw information. I send them the trademark information, everything. And they're like, nope, it's not yours. And it's just like, okay, well, then why would I continue to post my work on this thing? Like if other people can just take it and use it how they will. Right. But like you said, so much of the business comes <laughs> from the fucking social media. <laughs> yeah. And I I've know seen a lot of people switch over to LinkedIn, which has kind of turned mm. LinkedIn into a bit of a weird, like, <laughs> boomer vibe, to be honest, really <laughs> fucking cringe. But I've seen so much of the industry move on to LinkedIn because they're not censoring cannabis mm. content at all. Somebody just recommended that to me, but I'm a little like burnt out on trying to like social media hop or platform hop. 
And one of the biggest, you know, realizations, it wasn't even a realization because I preached it all the time. I just didn't apply it to myself. But that was like, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Mm. And you need to own your own content by having your own website. And so I've always had my own website. But it's more like cumbersome to constantly upload and it doesn't get anywhere near the amount of hits or engagement and traffic and you're battling SEO as like a drug platform or whatever, you know, Kush, like candidkush.com, like Google probably isn't stoked on that. And so I do put a lot of energy and time into my website, you know, actually probably more than social media. And I have a blog that is hit or miss, uh, depending on my mood. And I try to keep up with like a newsletter. But ultimately, I think the frustrations from Instagram trickle down into the drive to want to publish things online in general. One of the really cool things is having an exhibit in New York uh, that opened up earlier this year for me. Yeah, the THC NYC, right? I wanted to talk to you about that and how that really got kicked off and what that was like seeing your work like in person, like larger than life. I mean, I can only Mm -hmm. imagine. Yeah. And so showing work in the real world uh, tangibly isn't new to me. I've shown my work Um, on much smaller scales, even before cannabis photography in cafes or little art galleries or artist walks and stuff like that. And I've always really enjoyed that because you can connect with people on like different levels. And that's always been really, really cool. I was approached about a year and a half prior to the opening of THC, the House of Cannabis in New York City, which had its grand opening on 420 this year. Um, I was brought in as a photographer that was going to have a gallery in a cannabis sensory exhibit history encompassing uh, museum type of a thing. So that was really exciting. We worked on this project for about a year and a half prior to it opening. The narrative changed a little bit as the pieces like changed within it, you know, as uh, most projects happen. Now I have a Candid Kush gallery featuring eight of my prints that are three foot by four foot in size in light boxes. And there's about like maybe like a four foot vertical screen that has a minute and a half long loop that I created of like the cannabis motion, like starting at like the whole cola going into the trichomes. The building is on Broadway and Howard in Soho in New York. And from the outside, you can see my images on the ground level where they used it for the wallpaper that wraps around like the gift shop and coffee shop. And they have a glass blowing station and all this stuff. So the prints are like eight to 12 feet tall and they're along the mezzanine and stuff. It's pretty freaking epic. Holy, that is so what's a better feeling standing there with like a six dollar coffee in your hand looking at the uh the museum quality work you've done or like swatting mosquitoes in the bush in jamaica shooting some like off the off the beaten path type garden shit like i don't know man which which is more your speed (laughs) dude so i actually fuck mosquitoes man like i got dengue fever in jamaica and it hit me on 421 the day after the exhibit opening and i was just like man i am just like sick from traveling or i got covid or something because my lead up to 420 was i flew out of reno 
to Kingston on April 1st to work on a project with Dr. Michelle Emanuel of the University of West Indies in Kingston. And then from there, I was there for just about three weeks, I guess. And then went from Kingston to New York for the opening of the exhibit there. And it was on 420. And I got there four or five days early and was like kicking it around Greenwich Village. The weather was beautiful. And it was cool to see all the people because I've been nomadic van living throughout this whole COVID pandemic. I, I don't know, you know, all that stuff. And so like seeing like all the people in New York was like really exhilarating and fun. And then uh, yeah, I just got sick as shit on 421. Went to a quick care and they're like, oh, no, your your vitals are fine. You don't have COVID. You don't have strep. You don't have influenza. You should just rest. And I was like, all right. And so, like, I'm trying to rest and stay uh, hydrated and just progressively got, like, worse until I was admitted to the ER overnight. And then, sure wow. enough, had a bunch of uh, blood tests. And a few weeks later, after the CDC got done testing my blood, uh, confirmed it was dengue. <laughs> it was fucking nuts that's a fun letter to receive in the mail right yeah yeah i mean by that time i was like on the mend and i was pretty sure it was dengue or zika just by the chain of events that had happened and my symptoms but yeah i don't recommend that uh nearly died lost like 15 pounds in five days yeah so uh galleries are like more my speed but i'm into <laughs> Yeah, the, the, the adventure travel. <laughs> I'm going to Thailand in like a month and a half, so fingers crossed, no dengue there. I've heard a lot of great things about the scene there, so you know, yeah. hey, maybe we'll have you back on for like a mini episode. You could tell us about the definitely. Trip. Oh man, yeah. Thailand, that is really exciting. What are you um doing up there? You know, I've just been like putting out there that I want to go check out Thailand, Southeast Asia. I haven't been to that part of the world yet. You know, the cannabis scene is popping off. I've had a few friends who go have gone over there, made a connection with another traveler who's going to be spending three months in that area and decided to tag along with her and check all that out. And um, yeah, just kind of see how it goes, you know. Oh, that sounds so fun. Yeah. Well, it sounds like it's a little mix of like what Amanda does, which is like, all right, I'm going to go get on a plane or I'm going to go to the airport and figure out a plane to get on versus someone uh, maybe in Spain saying, hey, Chris, we really love your work. We'd love to have you out. So is it a little bit more like you got the travel bug and you try and find the opportunities there? It's kind of like a mix. So the Jamaica project came about, well, if I rewind a little bit, I always wanted to be like a traveling photographer. And it's kind of really fascinating and interesting, like how this all came about because I had a photo studio in Oakland. And then when COVID happened, I switched over to like a nomadic lifestyle to continue on the path of cannabis as a subject and being able to service people all over the West Coast, at least is how it was. And then it got brought out to the Midwest for a couple projects. And then I've been to Barcelona and I've done some photo work there. And that was in like 2019. And I had a little exhibit open up at a cannabis club there. Then traveled around Europe, Jamaica. I met Michelle in Spain at Spanibus in 2021. And we connected and vibed and we're like, yeah, we got to like work on a project together. 
just staying in contact over the year. And he was like, you need to come out to Jamaica and we'll document cannabis around the island, you know, work on some scientific uh, peer review papers and then publish a book. And that's what we're currently working on right now. I try to allow opportunity to come into my life and see where it goes and unfolds. So finding work to help pay for the travels is along the lines. Um, it's actually like way more affordable to travel outside of America. Right. Um, and so going to Thailand is kind of a way to skip winter here in the van and save some money and explore a new place that I haven't been to into cultures that I've been into. And then also see the cannabis internationally has been like really, really cool. It's so exciting to see weed in other places. And as someone who also loves traveling for weed, I haven't figured out the money part of it yet, you know, <laughs> but it's true. It is cheaper to go literally anywhere than stay in Canada or visit the States. Mm -hmm. No matter where you go, it's always cheaper. Mm -hmm. But also to see what people are growing and what the community is like. I think Thailand, just because of its like unique climate and it's just so far from here, that would be such a cool place to explore. The Thai like menus, everything I've seen to be really like racy, like what I know Thai weed to be, you know, just kind of like mm -hmm. straggly, uh, like energetic sativas. Um, mm -hmm. And it's not, it's like mostly a lot of like cookie strains and a lot of what you're going to see on the West coast. And like, you know, mm -hmm. the, those beans were pretty easy to get over there. And now we've got a, a bunch of very, very similar cultivars or, or copycats. Yeah, yeah. I've heard that um, I need to travel more north out like near Chiang Mai and like go into the rural areas out there to find some like cool outdoor types of uh, cultivations. You know, when I was in Jamaica, there was like a pretty big mix of the types of weed that they were growing. And then also the cultivation practices were pretty dependent on the region you were in and like just like the part of the island, right? On the more... I think it was like the eastern side, St. Thomas is like, it's kind of like a uh, Humboldt jungle or something like very similar vibes, but like everything is like tropical. And so there's like banana trees and like, just like everything was like very new to me, you know, like I saw a nutmeg tree. I've never seen that before. Like nutmeg grows in this kind of apple like fruit and then it opens up. There's this like big seed with this vibrant red lacing around it and yeah it's like mind-blowing literally saw the picture of nutmeg fucking yesterday for the, and i had no idea that's mm -hmm. what it looks like oh yeah. yeah well that that bright red stuff is called mace it's a space it's yes. a spice that is mostly used if you're an american you probably recognize it from hot dogs that's where a lot of uh mace spice goes is into Ew. american hot dog production yeah Weird. Uh, yeah i've had an obsession with nutmeg for a long time but uh yeah it's uh, i'm still yet to see one in the wild so that's right I did a, I, I took one of the nutmegs back to the studio and did like some photos of it and did a little 360 on there. And it's on uh, my Instagram too, if you want to check that oh, out. Oh, I have, I'm immediately writing notes down to go check it out <laughs> after this. Like I live in Toronto, I'm Canadian, obviously. So we're like root vegetable apple people, you know? <laughs> um, so when I went to California for the first time and saw a fucking lemon tree, I lost my shit. I could, I just like skirt pulled over and was like, 
lemons grow on trees like citrus <laughs> never seen an orange tree some more tropical places you see the banana trees and like i just think that's the funnest part of traveling like we've all seen a freaking banana but like something mm -hmm. about seeing the trees or kiwi i when i saw a kiwi tree for the first time that was off-putting yeah. they're weird <laughs> They're really weird. I've never seen one. It's just oh, I love a good kiwi tree. Just the wild. Yeah, yeah. It's just balls, hairy balls hanging everywhere. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's what I imagine. It's yeah. exactly awesome. what you think it would look like. a teenager i was into like punk rock and skateboarding and disposable like those yellow disposable kodak cameras were like available you know and i went to like a lot of punk rock shows in seattle and so i'd always have like one of those little disposable cameras the point and shoots you know taking pictures of like day-to-day -day life just i don't know for fun i guess and in high school my junior year i took a film class where we did black and white development and film photography. And then actually, if I wind up a little bit, my first high school was in Tacoma. And it was like a larger high school. And then I moved to Port Townsend High School, which is a tiny town on the Olympic Peninsula. And my school, the first school I went to is Franklin Pierce. And that had like, I don't know, 2000 kids. The second school had like 400 or something. And so I had enough credits to graduate but I just didn't have like certain classes to graduate. So I was able to just take all art elective classes. And so I did like film and video and digital photography and like welding and wood shop and like all different types of classes like that. And <clears throat> really got into uh, content creation or photography at that time in my life. And I went on to college to a trade school for automotive uh, painting did that and actually moved to LA to like work in paint shops and got tasked of uh, doing the product photography of it and just handed like some digital cameras like you're going to take the pictures. And I was like, oh, okay. And kind of like brought back the feeling of photography as like an art form. And when I moved to Las Vegas, when I was 21, bought my first like DSLR and started taking like travel pictures when I go out on like hikes and other things like that. And then got introduced to an older friend who is like a professional photographer. who He mentored me along the way and he was into more like model photography and boudoir and like types of that, like think like Vegas types of photography, I guess, you know, and I got linked in with this website called modelmayhem.com, which is like a network for photographers, creatives, makeup artists, um, like anything down that like realm. And I could just link up with like amateur models who wanted to do like trade for print uh, was like the terminology. And it's just like you get their time, they get the photos and you work on projects or whatever. And so I would just like think of these concepts of like, what would be like this cool photo with this type of a person? I'd search for that type of a person and then just go create different photo shoots and upload it to Model Mayhem. And this was all just before social media. And it was just like 
did that, you know? And like, that's where like I learned like studio lighting was shooting outdoors with lighting and indoors with lighting and doing that. But then shooting with like people in that region where it's like very superficial and like everybody is like, oh, like, can you change this about my body or can you do this? And I got like a little burnt out on like photographing people in that sense. Yeah. For me, you just have to pull the buds off and you're in pretty good shape. Yeah. And like, you need to smoke them, you know? Um, So that's like how I got started. How did you make that leap into the weed? Well, I've always been smoking weed. So I always enjoyed weed and used it as like a tool for creativity or whatever else, you know, and I just never really thought about photographing the weed and, you know, incriminating myself or whatever. And I moved from Las Vegas to San Diego and weed was like pretty illegal in Vegas when I was living there. And I had like my person I went to and that was cool. And uh, when I moved to San Diego, I found out that you could uh, just go on Hello MD and uh, get your med card and just like have a Zoom meeting with a doctor and then like order weed on Weed Maps like the same day and get it delivered. And I was like, wow, this is crazy. Like, I'm going to try this out. And it fucking worked. And like, I went on the Weed Maps and the pictures were just awful. It was also a very interesting time in my life because I was like in my late 20s and I'd been working nearly the past like 10 years in like food and beverage in uh, like uh, anything from like fine dining to like bartending to nightclubs and day clubs. And I was getting kind of burnt out on that scene. The money was like great and the schedules were flexible and allowed me to like really pursue a lot of my creative stuff. But I was always struggling with like, well, how do I be like a creative photographer, like full time professionally, especially with the iPhones releasing and like everything else and cameras were just so accessible and everybody's a photographer, right? When I moved to San Diego, I moved there to work at a nightclub, got juiced in with like a Vegas brand that I was working for and opened up a nightclub there. And I also applied for a part-time photography position working at the Audi dealership. So I was doing commercial product automotive photography. And then the nightclub and a day club. And then when I ordered weed, I was like, man, there's no pictures or these pictures. Like you can't really tell what's going on. I bet I could like take better product photos. So I ordered like four or five different strains from this delivery company called uh, Green Energy Meds. And they had really fire weed and stuff I'd just never seen or heard of. And I, um, this like white glossy Ikea table and I had my studio lights and I was like, well, I'm just going to like see what happens. And I took some pictures and sent them to the delivery guy and was like, yo, like, how about we build out your menu and like, we do like a trade where I get a free eighth for every photo and your menu gets built. And he was like into it. And I was trying to like figure out just like how macro photography works. And uh, that's how I got started with uh, cannabis as a subject. Wow. Started trading eights for photos. (laughs) Yeah. The thing that I I really like about your story is that you were like, okay, being a travel photographer is kind of the end goal. And I'm always just going to keep the photography thing going, even if it's not my main gig, even if I have to go like, you know, get a paycheck somewhere. 
you are always still working the photography angle. Um, that's, mm-hmm. that's really great to like stay consistent with that. And even in times where you're like, look, this can't be my number one thing, but it still has to be in the picture. Uh, I think that's really awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And that, thank you. And that year I just like made an ultimatum with myself where I was like, if I don't make 50% of my income from, from photography, then I'm just going to go back to college, um, for like x-ray technician or something that's like kind of photo kind of security. Like, I don't know. That's like what made sense to me at the time. And then, you know, I made more than 50% of my income and really thought that cannabis as a subject was going to be something much bigger than anything I could imagine. And I lived in San Diego for about a year and a half grinding the nightclubs and the day clubs and the car photography. Nobody wanted to pay cash for the weed photography. Everyone's like, you know, weed sells itself. You're never going to make money. Nobody's going to pay for this. And I was just like, I think you're wrong. Like this is like any other type of commodity where you have to have pictures to sell it. Like Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't care what it is. I made the decision to move to Oakland on a whim. It seemed like the Bay area was like the Mecca for cannabis on the West coast being so close to Northern California and still being like a city. Right. Yeah. And um, moved up there and emailed like every cannabis company I could find. And one got back to me, which was Garden of Eden in Hayward, just a little south of mm-hmm. Oakland. I got brought in there as like a part-time menu photographer. It was like a month of interviews. And like, finally, for the final interview, they handed me like a bunch of Sherbinsky's like weed. And I was like, what is this? There's branding and packaging. It was those like orange boxes. Sure. And tin jars, yes. you know? Yes. And I'm like gelato and bacio gelato and Sherbinsky's and like this purple weed. I had like no idea what that was. And I was kind of blown away and they were definitely flexing by giving me that too. And, you know, honestly, I didn't even know how to do, uh, how to capture trichomes. And they're like, we want you to capture trichomes. I was like, shit. All right, I got this. And I just rented <laughs> this lens called a Canon uh, 65 MPE which is still the lens I use today for the macro, super macro work. And it can go from like 1X to 5X. That lens is like 24 years old or something. Canon just never made a new one. Wow. And uh, rented that and kind of like winged it and got the job, (laughs) you know? For me, that's the most important lesson is just being like, yes, I can do that. And then just like staying up all night to figure it out. I I really love that shit. Yeah, lots of long nights and early mornings and just like troubleshooting, you know, because there was no, like besides like Eric, who I was inspired by a lot and looked up to, there was nothing really else as far as like, like how, how, how do you figure this out? Like I researched bug photography and like looked at that and found out like it kind of applied to cannabis, but not really. That was a really creative idea. Well, with the, the book project and everything, it seems like, uh, now the thing you're focused on is creating projects for yourself or from yourself and less like, okay, I'm going to have to hustle up this next season. I'm, I'm sure it's a combination of both, but where do you see like this going in the, you know, the next few years? Yeah. So, um, I think we all know that the cannabis industry is struggling as a whole and that ripples out to like everybody involved, especially here in California, at least as like a photographer, I like I had to pivot to other ways with like budget cuts and stuff. And I'm just like really interested in the storytelling aspect of things. And now 
I mean, it's been pretty apparent for a long time how much like cannabis connects all different types of people from all different walks of life. I think one of the big like moments that dawned on me was when I was like ripping dabs with uh, Steve Cantwell of Green Life Productions, one of my really good clients in Vegas. And he's a retired UFC fighter. And he's wow. like a fucking big dude and like super fucking cool. And I'm just like ripping dabs with him. And me just thinking like, man, I just like came from a farm up in humble with some like hippies and like their naked kids, like running around the plants thrown in there. And now I'm like taking dabs with a retired UFC fire. Like this is like fucking crazy. Right. <laughs> and, um, and by the way, he does like indoor no-till, which is like super sick. And so it has yes. like its own like uh, polyculture stuff going on in there. Ultimately, like what I want to do is keep servicing farms with the harvest as it makes sense, but then documenting cannabis culture globally with an editorial photography approach matched with my studio photography. And that was the approach I took in Jamaica was um, shooting like... It's not like lifestyle, but it's like editorial, right? Where the people who own the farm, like the people, the place and the plant type of thing and doing portraiture and then matching that people portraiture with the flower portraiture. Wow. And uh, yeah, it's, then, it's editorial, but there's a, a lot of like visual concepts that are cohesive throughout the whole project, mm -hmm. which I, I think is was a, a really interesting approach. Yeah, creating publications like coffee style art books matched with PhDs working on scientific papers, and then ideally having exhibits that we can travel and talk about from like our different perspectives of like a PhD in botany and then like a self-taught photographer. That's as good as it gets right there, right? I mean, I can't yeah. wait for the coffee table book just because I I love like a centerfold, like a really mm. like just mm, beautiful budshot, budshot. We're talking about um, Eric Nugshots. His book mm. is a, a, pr a really prime example of that. I mean, if you just leave it around on your coffee table. Even my mother-in-law would pick it up and be like, oh, these mm. are pretty. So, you know, even the, the novice can appreciate uh, shots like mm. that. But I, I do think when we get into like the, the storytelling and the science behind this rapidly evolving industry, there's a lot of really deep stories to tell. So I, I'm here for mm. all of it. Any other projects from like the last couple of years that really stand out to you or, you know, I, what I want to do is corner you at a party and ask you about all of the individual joints that you've smoked and which stood out. I know this is not the best platform for that. So, you know, we'll save that. Uh, but yeah. I, I do want to hear about the the big things that stood out to you. Well, I mean, the New York project was super huge. Um, like over the years, I've had projects that have been just really cool. In San Francisco, I worked at a microbrewery. I bartended like part time, and I this was probably in like 2017. We were able to do like a terp beer, like a terpene beer with real cannabis terpenes. It was like a fresh hop beer, and I got to shoot fresh hops the same way that I shoot cannabis, and then do like this little exhibit comparing cannabis to hops and oh, wow. to the micro form. Um, yeah, and so like they're related. Uh, plants and inside of hops are little glands called lupulin, which look like little neon green stockless trichomes that are more rectangular, I guess. Um, so that was like pretty fascinating uh, to do that. Um, you know, traveling around is like probably the pinnacle of it all, like as far as exciting things like being able to go share this flower with people 
we don't really speak the same language, but we can connect over the same things. And like, it's really fascinating working with the craft farmers who have been in it through like legacy and they're just pushing through and continuing on their path for the plant and like creating these really uh, unique cultivars, you know, like Emerald Spirit or, you know, Humboldt Seed with the triploids and everything. It's interesting because weed doesn't sell itself anymore. Like at all. There was a time where it did, but obviously photos make companies absolutely Mm -hmm. and strains and cultivars. Um, We talked about it with Amanda a couple weeks ago, hitting the angles like uh, brands who take a photo and they get the butt shot Mm. instead of the (laughs) nug, you know, you get a little stem, you know, it's creative, but it's also just like, there's so much artistry that goes into it. And I love that you're also manicuring like you have the eye, you know what should and shouldn't be in that mm-hmm. nug shot. Yeah, I would say um, when I did work with a company for a while, they had hired an agency and I've talked to other brands that hired creative agencies. And it's not that these photographers or content creators or whatever are bad at what they do. They're actually like really exceptional, but they just are working with a product they're very unfamiliar with. So like it would be the same thing. Like if somebody gave me some medical device and was like, oh, shoot this like this and I have no idea what it is. Maybe I'm taking a picture of the wrong screw, right? But since I love weed and I've been around it for so long, it has a face. Like there's a front, there's a back, there's like the bottom and the top. You have to know about different virus things or insects or pests or other deficiencies that could be going on with the plant and knowing whether to shoot that or not or for like what purpose, right? You can definitely tell when someone who isn't that familiar with herb is taking pictures of it. There's this like interesting balance between photography experience, creativity, and then just the know of the plant. Either there's some where like you can just tell, like I've seen these like lifestyle photographers that have, it's like a phenomenal photo, but the person is holding the weed wrong. You know what I mean? <laughs> like we know how to hold it, you know, or like break it up or they're holding the joint wrong. I mean, not that there's like a wrong or a right way, but there is. You no, know? There, no, there, there is. Yeah, we were we we're walking through um, the like international like wing of an airport recently, and mm. there was a, a photo of a woman eating a slice of pizza, and she was holding it from the top, both hands on the slice, and just like a skew at it. And my whole family didn't have to say anything. We all stopped. <laughs> And looked at each other like, what, what is going on here? This is so wrong. Um, and so now that's just like a family joke that we have. We're just like, <laughs> look at each other holding pizza like the entirely wrong way because it's so obvious. And I, I think that's like, you know, the more we talk to people who've really made their own careers, I think becoming like a, a, a quick learner and understanding your subject more deeply than say somebody, a videographer who has more years of experience um, if you can show up and provide a quality product, your knowledge is going to be so much more valuable. And mm-hmm. I think that's why uh, people like us who are, are quick learners, who are in the industry, who are like really going after something can really prove their worth to some of these bigger companies or ad mm-hmm. agencies or anybody who doesn't quite get it the way we do. It's wild how valuable that is in any industry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think intuition plays 
a large role into that. And that is just like from experience and uh, just like using it and being around it. Because I remember when I was shooting like the part-time menu photography stuff, like flower rosin, like pressed flower was really big and like shatter. And I never even seen anything like that before. I've always been like a flower guy. It's like, man, like what, what is this? Like, it's just this sticky sap looking thing, like on a piece of paper. And I had no idea how to shoot it. And um, I really struggled with it. And the photos were pretty awful. And I've been more into hash and rosin and stuff over the past, like, I don't know, four or five years now. So now when I shoot it, it's very, very different. And I think the photos like are just so much better. Yeah. I, I miss those shots of crispy shatter with uh, fingerprints on them though. <laughs> <laughs> never yeah. them up like that, but that was, that was <laughs> no. uh, rampant on social media a few years ago. <laughs> That's oh, hilarious. <laughs> well, right on, man. I'm, I'm really glad we got to sit down and talk with you basically while you're uh, in between editing. So thanks for taking the time today. Show us where we can find you and look up your projects. Yeah, man. It has been great. I really appreciate you guys having me on. You can find me at candidcush.com or at candidcush. And that's K-A-N-D-I-D-K-U-S-H. On any social platforms, I have the same username, Candid Kush, and yeah, I run them all. So. <laughs> oh, that's a full-time job in its own, man. Yes. I can't even yeah, imagine yeah. Uh, band yeah. maintenance on top of that, right? That's yeah. so great. Well, yeah, thanks so much for talking to us today, Chris. I'm feeling inspired. Yeah, I'm me too. Fully inspired, and I'm ready to pack my bags. Let's fucking go. Yeah, you should I'm come so out to Spain in March. There you you go. know, Spain has been on my list for quite a while. And have you uh, never been? Ryan knows I'm I was this close a couple months ago because I bopped over to Europe, but we never made it to Spain. And I even have friends there, squatting and non-squatting friends. Maybe March is the time. Maybe that's my next destination. Definitely. You should definitely cruise over to Barcelona in March for Spanibus. I would say the surrounding mm -hmm. events are more the reason to go food is incredible and then you can pop over to lisbon is really fun and affordable too i'm half portuguese so those are my people and what's cool about spain is the dispensaries are buying homegrown so mm -hmm. like if you're just growing in your backyard you can sell that to dispensaries that is a variety at its finest so it's definitely it's on my list no <laughs> yeah, it's dope you should do it <laughs> Oh. Word. Well, you know, uh, you can find us on all the things at the dot smoking spot. And uh, yeah, this has been a really great conversation. I'm looking forward to even more next week. We'll be back. I hope you'll be uh, joining us. Uh, we really like those like five stars. Go share us with your friends. Do all that stuff. Thanks, everyone. Send a matter, work in a pain. Any wish life may bring you. Oh, smoke it up, pull it down, and don't ever stop. Well, you can always find your smoking spot. Yeah, you can always find your smoking spot. Hey, Smoking Spot fans. We're here to tell you about the newest launch from Centelligence Projects. Over the last year, we've created the Cannabis Aroma Wheel, 
It's a sensory tool designed to help connoisseurs take their knowledge to the next level. So whether you're a bud tender, dispensary owner, cultivator, or you just love the smell of weed, you can better appreciate the cannabis in front of you. Get your copy of the most detailed sensory tool built specifically for the cannabis industry and order your cannabis aroma wheel today at centelligenceproject.com.